super cute, right? Well, hey, we are uh, still in this series called Little Big Shots, and we've been looking at the lives of young people in the Old Testament who made this incredible impact. And so we've been watching these videos sometimes of these kids who are making an impact in their lives in some way. And I love the stories of the little kids and how uh, when we're seeing their talent come out so many times, it revolves around something about their relationship with God. And this little girl, just very innocently, what was your first song? Uh, and she sings, Jesus, Jesus, there's just something about that name. Hey, I want to take just a minute to pray for you guys as we start today. And, uh, I, you know, I know that when we come into a room like this, there's the gamut of uh, feelings and emotions today. Some of you are on uh, just the highest of highs. You're starting the fall. You're celebrating. Uh, your family is back in school. And it just seems like things are going great. And uh, we want to praise the Lord for that. And some of you guys today, you are burdened by something, uh, maybe something in your uh, spirit, something that you're dealing with regarding temptation or uh, something that you've been facing for a while, maybe in terms of some struggle. Or, or maybe you're new to, to church today or you're at Axis for the first time and you're wondering, you know, hey, do I fit into a place like this? And you're just trying to evaluate today and, and trying to say, God, what do you have in store for me? So regardless where you are today, I just want to take a minute to pray. And uh, if you would just join me in that, would you spend just about 10 or 15 seconds just praying quietly today? God, today we ask for wisdom and discernment uh, when it comes to the situations in life that we face. God, give us the ability to be patient, to be at peace. God, we, we celebrate with those who celebrate today. We mourn with those who mourn today. And God, we pray for your supernatural strength in our life, the courage and the ability to do what we need to do and to face the challenges that we need to face day in and day out. And God, we pray for those around the world, uh, and in particular in our own country, who are facing uh, challenges in Houston and in Texas and God, I just pray that you continue to give them the ability to find, um, to find peace in the midst of turmoil and hardship. And God, we pray for our sister ministries like Matthew 25. And God, we just pray that as they are providing and our people are providing resources, God, that they would, the people in Texas will be blessed and that the name of Jesus will be uplifted. And God, we just thank you for, uh, for allowing us to even be here today to count our blessings, God. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's something about tragedy that makes you kind of appreciate what you have. Does anybody agree with what I'm saying? You know, some people, when you see the hardship of what is happening in different parts of the world, and in particular in Houston, you have a tendency to look at your own situation a little differently, don't you? At least you should. A little perspective check for a second, and you say, well, my goodness, my hot water heater went out, or my air conditioning went out, or something, and you think, well, man, what about living in Houston right now? And, uh, and being flooded out. So it gives us a perspective uh, change today. Now today what I want to do is I want to go into the book of Esther. And we are going to look at a story in the Bible. A historical story that happened about 485, somewhere around 485 B.C. And there's a king, and there's a queen, and there's a cast of characters. And I'm going to tell you this story, and then at the very end of the message, I'm going to give you some application to that story. But let's look at this historical uh, work in, called the book of Esther. Now here's the background. 
This is a time period in Israel's history when the Jews were taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar II of Babylon. God used Babylon as his agent of judgment against his people because they, like Josh said earlier, had forgotten him. And so Babylon overtook uh, the people of Israel and they took them into exile then in Babylon. It wasn't very long before the king of Persia, though, overtook Babylon, and now the king of Persia is ruling that area. And as uh, prophesied in Scripture, the Jewish people eventually would be allowed to return to Israel after uh, seven, 70 years of exile, and that prophecy would be fulfilled. But when those individuals went back to Israel, some of the Israelites remained <coughs> in Babylon. And in this middle of the people being there in, in this area, <coughs> the people who remained, we read about the story of Esther. Now, in order to help you remember this story, I'm going to give you kind of playing cards to remember the characters. First, we have a king. The king's name is Xerxes, all right? He is all over. He is the king over all of Persia from 485 to 465 B.C. His kingdom stretched all the way from India to the Mediterranean Sea. And during the third year of his reign, he threw a party. Not just any party. A megawatt party. This was a party that lasted for six months. Okay, it lasted 180 days, and at the end of the 180 days, guess what he did? He said, you know what, we are still ready to party. He said, we got seven more days in us at least. And so listen to what it says in Esther chapter 1, verse 10. On the seventh day, and that's the seventh day beyond the 180, so now there are 187 days of partying. When King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine. Anybody ever been there? Don't, don't say it out loud. Esther chapter 1 verse 10 says, He commanded the men who served him to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown. Some commentators believe that he was suggesting that she come wearing only her royal crown in order to display her beauty before the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. So now we have a king, and now we have a queen. We're going to call her the Queen of Diamonds. She's Queen Vashti. And uh, here she is, she comes in before, but he wants her to come in before the people. But guess what Queen Vashti does? She says, I'm not going to be some object to be looked at. I'm not going to come down. And verse 12 says, but when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come, and the king became furious and burned with anger. This is a woman of character. How many of you can say amen to that? And here we are. Now, she's standing up for women everywhere and saying, I'm not going to be uh, objectified. Now, here we are. We see King Xerxes, and how is he going to respond to this, okay? Now, you need to know something about this guy. He's a little bit wacky, okay? This is the same king who waged war against the 300 Spartans in the ba Battle of Therm Thermopylae in 480 B.C. He actually forced his soldiers to fight the Spartans, thrashing his own men to make them move forward. History records that 300 Spartans and a few hundred of their, uh, their allies killed 20,000 Persians before being overtaken. But Xerxes had all but 1,000 of his dead buried or thrown into the sea uh, and, and he allowed, uh, as, as his other soldiers would come up, he didn't want them to see all the dead bodies of their fellow soldiers. So this guy's a little bit crazy. But Vashti says, I'm a woman and I am strong and I'm not going to be your trophy tonight. And his advisor said, hey, we got to do something. All of Persia is watching. 
Verse 17 says, For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, women who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end to disrespect and discord. I love that. These guys are so insecure. So he has her banished, and he makes it into a law that she can never come back. But four years later, Xerxes realizes that the decisions that you make when you are intoxicated almost always end up in a bad decision. He actually loved Vashti, and now she's gone. And in chapter 2, verse 1, there's a sad verse that says, Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what he had decreed about her. And King Xerxes was lonely and depressed. His harem was no substitute for a wife, which reminds us that sex is no substitute for love, even for a guy like Xerxes. And even during these four years, he had had some rough battles on the battlefield with the Greeks, including the battle with the Spartans. So his advisors come to him and say, King, we have a great plan. Let's have a beauty pageant throughout all the kingdom, and the winner will become your wife and queen. Evidently, all of his advisors were dupes. In fact, John Orberg says, Now it's hard for us to believe in our day, but that there was once a culture so superficial that middle-aged men would try to impress other people by showing they have so much wealth and power that they could attract a wife of youth and beauty. But once there was a time when a culture was so superficial, that existed. Similar. But before we go blaming the guys, God had a hand in this, uh, this weird situation. God had made a, uh, a girl named Esther. She was an Israelite orphan who was raised by her older male cousin who was raised her like a daughter. Her mother and father uh, were not with her. And she was very beautiful. In fact, verse 7 of chapter 2 says, Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful. But before she was allowed to appear before the king in this kind of parade of young women that he was possibly going to marry, she had to undergo 12 months of beauty treatments. 12 months. And guys, you think your wife takes a long time to get ready. Twelve months. Now, you probably know then that after twelve months of this, that now Esther has brought before him, and she appears before him, and Esther then, out of all the thousands of beautiful young virgins become, to become his queen, he chooses Esther, and they get married, and he declares it a national holiday. And he has no idea that she is Jewish because she hasn't told anyone which is probably smart because earlier we're going to see that some guys named Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery prison because of their heritage. Xerxes was smitten. Esther is crowned the winner and they get married. And uh, we're going to call her the queen of hearts. That's Esther. Now, the king has no idea that she's Jewish. She hasn't told him. But soon after this, the Bible records what seems to be sort of a random, insignificant moment. Chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, had brought up Esther because she had neither father nor mother, and we're going to call Mordecai, her cousin, the ace of spades. Because Mordecai is kind of the ace in the hole, and you're going to find out why later. Mordecai overhears two palace guards talking about an assassination plot against the king. And so he sends a messenger to Queen Esther, who in turn turns to the king's secret service team, They check it out, indeed it checks out, and the plot is thwarted. 
No big deal is made of that, except for they recognize it in the minutes of the meeting uh, that they had. They said, well, Mordecai, we need to take note of this. That guy just saved the king. Now, uh, you'll find out later why that's important. Now, sometime after this, King Xerxes needs some help managing his kingdom. And so he hires a guy named Haman, and he elevates him to all above all the other nobles. Now, he makes Haman like the prime minister of Persia, and we're going to call him the Joker. All right? Not because he's funny like haha Joker, but funny like Batman Joker. Like, this guy is a nemesis. This guy is a bad guy. All right? And this is really bad news for the Jews because Haman is in love with himself. He demanded that every person, when they would walk past him, they would bow down and kneel right before him. That is an ego trip. Can you imagine that? He wants power so badly. But because Haman is now the assistant to the, to the, to the king, everybody did bow down to him, everybody except Mordecai. Mordecai, the ace of spades. Mordecai would not kneel down, he would not worship him, he would not honor him, which makes Haman, egotistical joker, Haman so mad he wants him killed. That's how pride works. But he doesn't just stop there. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, in other words, that he was Jewish, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Haman was his day was like a Hitler. He was a bona fide racist. His hatred for the Jewish people caused him to go to King Xerxes and say, hey, look, look, I'll give you a ton of money if you just let me wipe out this group of people that we have here in Persia. Let's get rid of them altogether. They don't fit in. Psycho Xerxes says, okay, whatever you want. So Haman sets an extermination day where he's going to kill all the Israelites. Now, if you're a Jewish person and you're hearing this, you've got to be thinking, God has left us. He's abandoned us. Nope. In fact, what we're going to learn later is this is right where God wanted things to be, right where he had a plan in store. And he's never out of sight. And friends, let me just push pause on this story for a second and say this. That some of you guys today may feel abandoned by God, forgotten by God. You may feel like God has no plan for me. God does not know what I'm doing or maybe he's just against me. Friends, don't ever forget the verse in Hebrews 13, 5 where God said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I will never abandon you, ever. Even if you're feeling it, that may be right where you're in the center of God's will. And so remember that God had made a promise to Abraham that the Israelites were going to be carried out, that the Messiah was going to come through them. Maybe they had forgotten that and forgotten that they, maybe they felt abandoned. So it doesn't look good. Verse 13 says, Dispatchers were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces and with an order to destroy, <coughs> kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. This is ruthless. He's going to kill women, children, plunder their goods, all on a set day. Can you imagine being an Israelite in that area? I mean, what would you think? What would you feel? Mordecai hears about this plot, and he goes to Esther, and he says to Esther, go to the king, you have to beg for our people. But Esther sends back a message and says, you don't understand, Mordecai, there is a problem. The king is not summoned for me in over 30 days. She burned the toast or complained about the harem or she started wearing spanks and he just couldn't tolerate it. We don't know, but it's not good. 
And in case you've forgotten, Mordecai, she writes, if I show up in his presence uninvited and he does not extend an invitation to me, signifying that I can approach him, I could die. And you remember the last time one of his queens breached protocol and lacked respect? I love what Mordecai responds. And this is the critical verse in the middle of this story. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, Mordecai said, that you are alone of all the Jews, or that you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. In other words, God's going to deliver them one way or the other. But you and your family's father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai is saying to his young cousin, perhaps this is why God made you. Perhaps he's saying this is the reason why you were raised up as an orphan to become uh, that from that very first early day to become the first lady. God has orchestrated all this for you to save his chosen people for such a time as this. And friends, have you ever had a moment like that? And maybe you haven't realized that moment yet, but that moment where you realize you're standing up for what you believe in. No matter what other people are saying around you, no matter how other people are kind of demeaning your faith, you're standing up for what you believe in. This moment where you decide that no matter what happens, you're going to do the right thing in the middle of a wrong situation. You're going to do the right thing. And I think that God is calling some of you guys today at your workplace or in your school or in your home even to say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm standing up for for what is right for such a time as this. Esther is here, and it is no accident, Mordecai says, that you are in this position, and God's going to use you. So she decides to do it. But she wisely decides not to just come barging in. And what does she do first? She prays and fasts. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my tenants will fast as you do. This is serious. Life or death, she wanted to be covered in prayer. God wants, us to, God wants, wants us to know that we're serious about prayer. Fasting is one of the ways to do that. Fasting is this saying no to food, specifically, or drink or something else for a period of time where you say, I'm going to say no to those things and I'm going to spend time focused in prayer. And those times are seasons where, um, where we've engaged our church to fast. I remember several years ago. Um, a church that we served, we right before Easter, we took time to do an extended fast. We did a lot of preparation for it. Did a 30-day fast. Next year, we did a two-week fast. Next year, here's what I've learned. I, I used to think, well, I'm just going to spend more time praying, and maybe that's true. But what I learned was, in every one of those fasting times, God, God gave me some kind of a word, some kind of a message that I needed that I didn't even know that I needed. There's just something about saying no to the worldly things that allow you to focus more on spiritual things, and that was my experience. And so Esther says, we're going to pray and we're going to fast, and God's going to carry out his plan. Verse 16 says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. How many of you ladies love this story? The strength of both Vashti, who said, I will not be an object to these guys and of Queen Esther, the Queen of Hearts, who says, we're covering this thing in prayer. And I'm calling some ladies today who need to be covering their families in prayer. They need to be covering their husbands in prayer. You need to be fasting over situations with your children. You need to be that person of character that says, 
that, uh, that my husband may be leading us spiritually, but I'm going to be covering us. I got the backside. I'm covering us in prayer. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says, Look, don't be anxious. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so don't be worried. Now, after all this time, it says, with, all, with the Jews, along with Esther's servants, they fasted and prayed. Esther then takes that step of faith, and she goes uninvited to King Xerxes. She stands in the corridor right there in front of the king. This is the moment their eyes meet, and although she is uninvited, the Bible says he is pleased with her. And so he extends his royal scepter. And even he asks her what she wants, and she looks right at the king and says, uh, the king says, I'll give you half my kingdom. That's how much he loves her. And Esther makes a very simple request to start with. She says, you know what? I don't need half the kingdom. I just want dinner with you and Haman, just the three of us tonight. And he says, done. Consider it done. And so we have the banquet, and the timing didn't seem right to Esther. She didn't feel like that was the right moment. So she said, hey, listen, let's have dinner tomorrow night, all right? And so Haman goes, great, because he gets to hang out with the king again and the queen. So he says, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's have another dinner. But some interesting things happen before that dinner. And here's the night before. That night, Haman, when he goes home after that first banquet, is so upset and infuriated with Mordecai and all the Jewish people that he can't wait for the day of extermination out another several days in order to wipe out the Jews. He wants Mordecai killed right now, the very next day. So he gets his servants together and says, I want you tonight and tomorrow to build for me a 75-foot pole that I can impale Mordecai on tomorrow. And I'm going to ask the king tomorrow, and he'll, I'll take care of it. So they start building this 75-foot pole to impale Mordecai on. But that very night, King Xerxes is sleeping, or he's trying to sleep, but he's got insomnia. He couldn't sleep, and so what does he do? He calls for one of his attendants and says, hey, do me a favor. Get the minutes of all the king's annals, and I just want you to read for me the minutes. Why is he doing that? Because any of you who have read minutes of meetings, you know how much that wants you to sleep. So here he is reading the minutes of the meeting. And the king says, I just need some time to read. And actually, God prompted all of this. He prompted King Xerxes' insomnia. He prompted... Uh, the plan that was about to be unfolded. And as King Xerxes reads the minutes of the meeting, he realizes that guy named Mordecai that saved his life a, a long period of, ago. And he says, we need to celebrate this guy. In fact, we're going to celebrate him tomorrow. And the next morning, this is going to be the day of the second banquet. Haman is going to kill Mordecai on this 75-foot pole. The king is going to celebrate Mordecai for the very things that he did a while ago in saving his life. And Queen Esther is going to come and ask for the people, her people, the Jews, to be saved. Wow. And we'll see you next week. I'll give you the rest of the story. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Now, all this comes to a moment, and Xerxes says, look, we're going to celebrate somebody and tells Haman. Look at what Haman, he's so self-absorbed, this joker. Verse 6 of chapter 6 says, Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there the king would rather honor than me? And verse 9, it says, Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming him before him with honor. In other words, Haman is telling him how to celebrate himself. 
So the king says, go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do it just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew. Do not neglect anything that you have commanded. Imagine the irony. On the day he thinks he's going to kill Mordecai, he has to walk around the city pulling him on a royal horse with a crown on his head, forcing everybody to pay honor to Mordecai. So Haman does this, parades Mordecai around all day long. I am sure Mordecai is just giving it to him, trash talking all day long. Hey, how's it going down there, Haman? Keep carrying me. So then Haman has to run home, get changed, and get to the second banquet. At least he can pull this thing out and still try to kill him if he can. Look what it says. Esther and Xerxes are seated there. Haman comes in. The stage is set. Chapter 7 Verse 3 and 4, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life, this is my petition, and spare my people. This is Esther talking. This is my request, for I and my people have been sold to be destroyed and killed and annihilated. She waited till the moment where Haman came in. She used the same words as the decree that Haman had used to kill all of the Jews in her request King Xerxes is now surprised, realizes that she is a Jew, and he asks Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing as to say that he's going to annihilate the Jews? And Esther said, an adversary and an enemy, this vile Haman. Verse 7 says, the king got up in rage, left his wine, and went out to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. He realized he's in trouble now. And the king walks out, counts to ten, about to come back in. Haman knows he's the only person who can save his life is the queen. So he goes over to her. He trips, lands right on top of Queen Esther, right when the king comes in. You cannot make this stuff up. The king looks at him, and all it says in verse 8 is they cover Haman's face. And how many of you have ever seen an execution happen, right? You know when they cover your head, you are in deep doo-doo and this is where he's at they put a bag over his head and it's not even done yet one of the attendants says hey a king by the way uh, i'm going to get your good graces and i just want to say that you know what on my way to work the last day i passed haman's house and i came past it today he's built this 75 foot pole in fact to kill mordecai and i'm just making a suggestion here but maybe since he saved your life let's not put mordecai on it let's put haman on it king xerxes says that's convenient Stick Haman on this pole, and the joker is dead. What a turn of events. I mean, this is unbelievable. And unless you know the author of the story, you'd, you'd be like, man, how is this even going to happen? But the author of the story had the plan from the beginning, and he knew how he was going to save the Israelite people, and God's plan would be finished. And, uh, and some of you, I wonder if today you're looking at your life, and sometimes you feel defeated in your career or your marriage, or with your kids, listen to me, do not accept defeat, do not give up, God has not abandoned you, the Bible says, don't be weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest, if you do not give up, so friends, let me just make some quick observations for two minutes or less, here they are, observation number one, in your life, every day, just like Esther, look for opportunities, Mordecai looked for them, Esther, look for them. Be cognizant of the situation God has put you in and the people that he brings into your life. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, you look for opportunities. The Bible says, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, make the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. 
And so look around all the time. God, where could I be used? What's next for me, God, in this situation? How could I be used to bring glory to you? Secondly, invite God into the process. Oh, God will let you live your own life if you want to. But like Esther, she came before the Lord in prayer and fasting and said, God, I want to do only your will. And I just love that. She knows that she doesn't control events. She is not in control. She takes matters to, to the Lord. And thirdly, when given the opportunity, friends, have the courage to speak up. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. You want Jesus, your mediator in heaven, saying, I got it. I know this person. Oh, I know that woman. I know this man. And I'm going to stand before them. And guess what? They spoke for you, Father. They gave testimony about you. They, they told the truth about you. When other people were ridiculing you, God, they stood up for you. Man, I want Jesus, my advocate, to be in heaven saying, just as they acknowledge you, I'm going to acknowledge them before you, Father. And so, friends, have the courage to take a stand. Have the courage to, even in difficult situations, I mean, Esther was even at the end of her life, and she stood for the Lord. And some of you may want to look at your life right now and feel defeated, but don't accept defeat and don't give up. Be faithful to the Lord. One of our missionary friends, Ajay Law, in India, has faced terrible trials uh, in India. And they faced moments where literally they uh, were facing their moment of death. And Ajay tells about a time where he was asked to go into an area of a ch- where a church was in the middle of a, a Hindu extremists that were ruling that area. And they had warned him, if you preach... If you share the name of Jesus, our guards will be outside the door. We will have guards inside, and they will be waiting for that moment, all of them carrying machine guns, for that moment when you say something, when you say something that they think is threatening to this area or to the leadership in this area, they have orders to shoot to kill right on the spot. And I.J. Law said he called his wife, knowing the severity of it, and said, baby, I'm going to go and preach the gospel. He ends up going to preach the gospel, and instead of what they expected, which was maybe a hatred speech or a speech against all the other groups, instead he simply spoke about the love of Jesus, what Jesus had done for him, how Jesus had transformed his life. And he said the captain of the guard came up later and said, you spoke in a way that we have never heard before. And, of course, I.J. Law has continued to do this incredible ministry in India. But what courage it would take to stand for the gospel of Christ at, at, the, at, the, at the end of a barrel of a machine gun. Friends, I love how this story ends. After Haman is put to death, guess what King Xerxes does? Esther is given Haman's riches. Mordecai becomes the new prime minister. The Jews are saved and actually given the power to conquer their enemies on the 13th day of the 12th month, which they now celebrate as the Feast of Purim till this day. You see, when things seemed bad, God had a plan. His people were not abandoned. And friends, I just wanted to talk to you today and ask you this question. Is this your such a time as this? Have you ever had that moment where you feel like God's saying, this is your time? For such a time as this. Maybe it's not as dramatic as going before the king. 
Maybe it's not as dramatic as giving your life, but day in and day out, we are given opportunities to stand for the only king, the king of kings, the king not only of our hearts, the king of all the world, the king of the universe, and you are able, Paul says, to be his ambassador, to be the ones that stand for him, even in good times and in bad. And to that end, I want to pray for your courage today. God, we just ask that all of us, whatever the situation we find ourselves in, God, that we would have the heart of an Esther, the courage and the boldness to stand up against those who would come against you. And and to God, to say it in the way that we believe it, it would be received the way that you would want it to be told. And that we're sharing that love of Christ with people. And that we're bold in our workplace, in our homes, and especially when people are coming against you, God. Help us to figure out the right way to say things, but say it in a way that's filled with boldness. Help us to look for those such a time as this moment, God, to be available, to look for opportunities. God, to invite you in to our life, to to what's happening day in and day out. And then, God, to have the courage to be faithful enough to follow through. God, today we love you. We thank you for... The, the story of Esther, and God, we, we just thank you for the opportunity to even be part of your team. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.